Hey, welcome to Video Night. We're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Can't Hardly Wait and maybe a lesser known film called Dancer Texas Population 81. Why would we combine the two movies? They're more slimmer than you think they are. I'm your host, Michael, and joining me on this episode is my sister, Mindy. Hello. Now, we were holding out on doing this because I wanted to do the episode with you because you and I went and saw Can't Hardly Wait together. And it was kind of a regular watch in our house. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, summer of 88, or no, sorry, summer of 98, We, I feel like we went to a crap ton of movies. I don't remember. I felt like we went to the movies a lot, period, but I don't know. I don't know why. It just, I remember, I'm trying to even like go through the list of movies, but I remember Can't Hardly Wait was the very first one, I think, after you graduated. Well, and, that's the thing. I mean, I think this is the, the movie of that year that that resonated with me the most because I graduated. But yeah, I think we went to see this like, I don't know, a couple of weeks after and that it didn't, didn't some of my friends go to, I think. Uh, I do believe that, uh, I want to say that it was, um, oh my God, I can't remember your friends' names anymore. Yeah, I think like Zach. Maybe. Zach McCoy. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember, it doesn't really matter, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. It doesn't matter. Um, but I did that summer though. It just seemed like this was the era when teen movies were just everywhere, and it, like it yeah, seemed like every so. two weeks there was another big one coming out, and they just don't do that anymore because everything now requires you know fifty million dollar budget for special effects. Was this a big movie at the time? No, um, you know, for us it was huge, and it seems like that's the way it was yeah. for you and I. Is those movies that we really, really loved that. They did okay. And most of them, they just did okay. And then they would find an audience on video later, and then people would talk about it. Um, yeah. Because I'm thinking, during this is the post-Scream era. So you're getting all the horror movies, but you're also getting some of the comedy starting to come out. But that wouldn't blow up until the next year with American Pie. So we're getting a lot of... I remember that summer we watched Disturbing Behavior, Urban Legend, oh, okay. uh, Halloween H2O, where I nearly got my ass kicked. <laughs> because those guys, okay. <laughs> do you remember telling them to shut the hell up? No, and then I, I actually looked behind me and I'm like, oh fuck, there's there's four big guys. Oh great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just uh, there was a special. And then of course, like the next year is when we got like uh, ten things I hate about you. Uh, the what's the one with Freddie Prince Jr.? She's all that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thankfully I remember the name because if I just say Freddie Prince Jr., that's like twelve movies. But it just seemed like that was kind of like the golden era of teen comedies, and I kind of miss that, even though some of them were kind of wretched. <laughs> yeah, they weren't really that great, but there's still something fun about them. I don't know. Well, it's because it was movies that were geared towards us, and that yeah. hadn't happened in a while. There was a gap between the John Hughes movies and Can't Hardly yeah. Wait basically launched that new comedy era. Where um, sadly it was taken over by grossing you out and trying to be you know more American Pie, but there's maybe five or yeah. six movies that were clearly homages to John Hughes movies, and this is like a supernova version of all of his movies condensed into one. You know, it's like all the elements of Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club and uh, she's uh, some kind of wonderful you know stuff like that all cr- uh, crushed yeah. into one film. I think so. Yeah. The, um, Plus, there was like the sheer number of of guest stars and people making cameos. And yeah, well, for the most part, like 
you and I always seemed to know who people were before like they became yeah. household names. And some of the people we really knew, but no one else knew. No one really knew who Ethan Embry was yet. I mean, he was nope. just he was just riding. Um, we had been in Empire Records, and you remember he had that gap because he was Ethan Randall for yeah. years, and then he went yes. away for a year or two, and came back as Ethan Embry. And it was Empire Records. Yeah, when he was a kid, yeah. That thing you do, uh, Vegas Vacation. But this was kind of like his showcase as a star. When did um, when did that his show? When was that on? Freaky Links was on two years later. I want to say it was October of 2000 is when it debuted. Oh, okay. Which is a show so that I we really I enjoyed. Be, yes. I don't remember if this this movie is what catapulted my uh, Ethan Embry love, but I did have a, a tribute to Ethan Embry while my first year of college, which just pictures of him all over my wall. He was a big celebrity crush of mine. I uh, did not know this. The other cast members, of course, Jennifer Love Hewitt is the one that was on all the posters, but really she's not in much of this. Not really. She's an and. Like, th this is how we get the movie greenlit. She shows up for two days, you know, yeah. shooting. She kind of ties everything together. How the hell is it that Deborah Kaplan and Harry Alfont, guys who had never directed... Uh, a movie before. They'd only written the absolutely magnificent Brady sequel, which no, apparently nobody went to. I think it's far superior than the original movie. But they come out of nowhere, and they don't do a small movie like most directors do. They have a cast of like 60 people constantly going in and out of the scene. How the hell did they do this? I don't know. I mean, they, on a... They basically only made movies like this that were fun and underappreciated. Yeah. Oh, they only directed the two, right? They only did this and Josie and the Pussycats. I think they wrote a bunch of movies after this, but I don't recall if they directed any movies beyond uh, Josie. Oh, I'm not, I'm not sure either. Which should have been a much bigger hit, honestly. Josie and the Pussycats is yeah, a great so flick. Good. Yeah. It really is. Um, I just know that, um, that what's her, what is her name? That, that Deborah Kaplan? Kaplan? Yeah. She's married to Breckenmeyer, right? Right, correct. Or, or was at the time. I'm not sure they might still be. Um, and he's in this. He's probably the oldest. You know, it's hard to tell. This is that last gasp, I think, of people being cast in their late 20s as teenagers. I, I feel like that would not fly mm -hmm. for anything now. Yeah, no, I get, that totally makes sense to me. But you're talking like a huge, huge cast. And they probably had to find, you know, more about the appropriate actor. Not so much the age, but can they pull off the role? And luckily there's like, you know, like I said, 40 people revolving around in this film that you don't spend too much on some of these older characters. But there's a couple like um, Jennifer Love Hewitt's character, uh, her cousin's in it. And I could have, what is it, oh, Eric Palladino? Yeah. He's got to be pushing 30 at that time. That's a good point. The, yeah. Uh, so basically, if you haven't seen this movie, it's all about the night after graduation. They're having a massive party. And this is Ethan Embry's way of going in. He plays Preston Myers. He goes in. He wants to confess his love to Amanda Beckett. And for some reason, he feels like he needs to do some big display of it with all of these people there. And let's just say it's not the most appropriate way to do it. But here's the weird thing is 
a lot of people say this movie is like caricatures, like they're not real people. And every time I watch it, I go, no, I knew a guy like that. I knew a guy like that. I knew a guy like that. There's a character in here. I can't remember the, his name, but do you remember the one that was just like, hey, Preston, do you remember the time that when you do, you, you know, he would always bring yes. up all these old stories. I had a friend like that. Andy McDaniel was like that. Every single story for yes. years on end was, do you remember the time? I was like, dude, could we talk about like something more recent, please? <laughs> but he never could. And yes, I, couldn't, I couldn't talk to him anymore. He actually, his character doesn't even have a name. He is literally called the reminiscing guy. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Um, that's funny. Yeah. So it's just, the whole movie is just this massive party. And through that, you get to deal with everybody's interactions. And it's just, it's so astonishing mm -hmm. how they can accomplish so much. But I want to go through the cast real quick. Um, okay. Uh, this is the first time I think most people have seen Lauren Ambrose, who I think is magnificent yeah. in this movie. She's She's fantastic. You know, I and mean, you know, she just, uh, we were watching her again in, um, you know, what's it called? <clears throat> the show that made her famous. Sorry. I don't know what happened to my brain. And <laughs> I was like, oh, geez, what's she, what's she been doing lately? And she's like on Broadway right now and got nominated for a Tony Award just like this couple weeks ago. Nice. What was the, uh, there was a movie she was in that was like a parody of like beach movies and horror movies. What was that? Oh, I know. I don't remember. Wasn't it? Um, Nicholas um, Brendan's in it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I'm going to look oh, right Oh, wait. Now. We're getting off track already. No, no. That, that's a good flick. I really like her. Psycho Beach Party. Um, Psycho. Yeah, Psycho Beach Party. That was good. Uh, Peter Fascinelli, I think this is the first thing that I had ever seen him in, and uh, still going today. i just sh still shocked that he still has a career, because I kind of thought after um, Fastlane that he was just done. Yeah. Uh, basically playing yeah. the tool. Mike's, what is it? Mike Dexter rules! You're like, oh god, what an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love the scene where he meets up with Jerry O'Connell, and he's yeah, the guy who had graduated like three years earlier. And, and to With Mike, like the, 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 he's like the version of him, the right. older version of him. Yeah, and it's it's like, uh, oh man, it must have been so great when you went to college. She's like, no man, stay in high school forever. The chicks hate you when you're like this in college. <laughs> I was like, don't break up with your girlfriend and always wear flip flops in the shower. <laughs> Trip McNeely, what a douchebag name. Yep. Um. Seth Green, I every knew Seth Green, I think, by this point, especially since he had just yes, been in Austin so. Powers. But he had been one of those guys that was the glue in a lot of teenage movies for years. But he basically created a new archetype. Because all the characters you see in this movie are fairly reminiscent, like I said, of old John Hughes characters. But he creates a mm -hmm. new one, the wannabe. There's, there's a word that they actually termed at the time, but it's really offensive. I can't believe no one had a problem with this. I mean, they called him a wigger, which is white. Yeah. Hmm. But I like to call him yeah. like uh, um, the wannabe, you know, the hip hop wannabe is basically what it is. Yeah. And him and his friends are so cringeworthy, especially his two idiot friends. Like everything that comes out of their mouth, you're like, oh, my God, just shut up. Just shut up, please. Yeah. And the, and he's like making up a whole new language yeah. that you don't even understand. There, there's one cliche that's in the movie that I don't like which they did a lot around this time for some reason, is the mirror scene where you're trying to be become somebody else, like where they're practicing yeah. in front of the mirror. I have never once practiced in front of the mirror as a different person than who I really am. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever done that? No. 
Yeah, that's so strange. You see that in so many movies around this time, and it seems like most of them were done by Robin Williams. I remember that in Father's Day, specifically. Yeah, I'm your papa, I'm your daddy, I'm your pal. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that happens in real life, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Corsmo, who we had not seen for years, making a big comeback and then disappearing all over again. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were looking him up when, when we were watching this movie the other day. And uh, he's a lawyer now and a, and a law professor. Nice. He, uh... Yeah. And, hmm. and he, he, when he disappeared, he, that, was, that was his choice. Right. He was offered a, a ton of money to do a lot of movies. And like, um, like The Good Son and, you know, a bunch of the roles that he was offered, they said ended up going to like Elijah Wood at the time. Huh. They offered him a mil- um, like a million dollars in like 93 to, to be in The Good Son and he just didn't want to be an actor anymore. That is wild. I wonder why he came back for the one movie. Did he ever say I why? He- yeah, it's so strange because it looks like here he was halfway through his college degree. He was getting a degree in physics from Massachusetts mm-hmm. Institution of Institute of Technology, and he ended up working for the EPA. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know. Like maybe he just maybe he just wanted to prove something to himself that like he he did have he had talent and you know that it, it was it you know did he make a mistake by quitting and he probably decided no he didn't. Plus, it must have been a nice payday. I mean, you got to pay for tuition somehow. Yeah, his his um role in the, in this movie is one of the most enjoyable. Yeah. I it, I remember, though, cringing when I had seen him because he grew up awkward. Not that... I mean, I did, yeah. too. But you don't expect it out of actors sometimes. And then every once in a while, that, that, that thing where they're in the middle of being a teenager and an adult, and they haven't... Their body and their face have not, like, made that full change yet, and you're just like, no, oh, that, sure. oh, that didn't work out well. I do think that's, you know, an interesting thing, too, is... um. The, the style of the haircuts and fashion styles can really um, have an effect on your, you know, your attractiveness. Because there's just some things that were like, man, that was not, why was that a style? Oh, yeah. Hope it never comes back. Well, this is right when we're, like, we're in the middle of that grunge era and then the Limp Biscuit era. And, you know, yeah. going from kind of mopey and dull to being like flashy and douchey, it's, it's mm-hmm. like... Yeah, I, a lot of people really hate the music of this era and the look of this era. Um, I don't mind it so much. I think I could go the rest of my life without ever seeing someone with highlights in their bangs. <laughs> uh, oh, guys, what were you thinking? Sure. Um, you know, and then uh, do you remember the shirts with the little uh, zippers on them, but the little piece that was the zipper looked like a ding-dong? Oh, sure, yeah. I yeah. hadn't given it in many, uh, any thought, really, but yeah, yeah I remember. I just remember stuff like that and then seeing the hats with porn star on it. So it was a weird era. And we were just about to go into the extreme era, you know, and uh, going full yeah. douchebag. And then finally finding our way back around like 2002 or 2003. But there was a few years there where it was just all about like loud and out, you know, just in your face. Yeah, no, I didn't like that. None of that. <laughs> the, uh, this is the first time I think I had seen Jason Siegel. Um, who would play a much bigger oh, part yeah. in a movie three months later, which I totally forgot about, Dead Man on Campus. Oh, yeah. You know, I still don't think I've ever seen that movie. It's it's pretty good. I watched it again recently, and it's pretty entertaining. I uh, I had a fun time watching it. It's long as hell, though, for some Isn't reason. Isn't like, 
Wasn't like Linda Cardellini in that, and she's his girlfriend? Is that how they they ended up together for so I'm long? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Hmm. We have. I uh, think the first. Yeah, go ahead. I think that the first movie I saw him in was uh Oh man, I can't remember what it's called. Never mind. SLC Punk. No, I forgot about that too. No, yeah, because he it's did quite one... a few movies before he got Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, it was the one with the guy from Pete and Pete. Oh, no, Slackers was like three years after this. It was after Freaks and Geeks. Oh, was it? Really? Yeah. Okay. The, um, well, maybe that's the first time I just, like, remembered him, you know? Oh, gotcha. I don't know. Uh, Clea that's Duvall? That's a really disturbing movie, though. I feel like we saw Clea Duvall a lot around this time. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember she was in Faculty, and she's all that in a bit part. And I really enjoy her acting, but I know that she's not conventionally good-looking, I guess, in the opinion of most of the people that are casting. But I think that she uh, deserves, I think, more attention as an actress than, than she gets. I feel like she has done a pretty solid amount of work as as an adult. I've seen her in a lot of stuff. Really? Because I, thought, I haven't um, seen her. Like, I re- the movie I remember her... Okay, so I guess it has been like six years, but Argo, the movie that um, Ben Affleck directed... Yeah, she's in that? She's Why in don't that? I remember that? Yeah, no, I thought huh. she was really good in that. Okay. Um, she was in like a Lizzie Borden series. She's in American History Story, Newsroom. Right. I guess I'm just not catching the right she shows. A lot of stuff. <laughs> I, I think that she's just, you know, she's kind of a quiet. You know what I mean? She doesn't really. She's not actory. She's, she's not showing off, which yeah. I I hate about some she's, actors. She's never been super showy and drawn so much attention to herself. Yeah. I think that maybe she just kind of goes under the radar. It says also she's in a, a whole, se- or at least a season of Veep, which I haven't really watched much of, mm-hmm. but she, you know, is a pretty acclaimed show. Better Call Saul, The Handmaid's Tale. She's doing plenty. Huh. Just nothing you're watching, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't watch a lot of new TV. Honestly, I'm so drowning in it. It's like, if it's a Netflix thing, I'll watch it. If I'll, Sometimes I'll catch some of the other shows they have. But yeah, it's, it's it feels like every day there's a new show. And I'm like, I can't keep up! Yeah, I totally understand. Uh, first time I've seen Jamie Presley, who would be like... She really hammers down the kind of like snarky, bitchy kind of thing. You know, but at the same time, very funny and likable. Uh-huh. I remember. I was trying to remember. There's a that was like a, a chunk of the movie is that Mike Dexter's friends and their girlfriends have yeah. their own story because it's Freddie Rodriguez, uh, Sean Patrick Thomas, uh, Shannon Rowe, who I swear to God Shannon Rowe lived in Lincoln City where I was because the dude would come in every single day, look just like him, and his name was Shannon, which is unusual for a guy. And I kept wanting to ask him. Or like when he would put his credit card in the machine, I wanted to see the name on it. I could never see the fucking name, and I just wanted to know if it was him. It looks so much like him. Well, I mean, he's probably not acting anymore. I don't, he? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I looked up at the time, and he was acting every once in a while. But I mean, we How shoot a lot of. St- what- There's a lot of stuff shot up in Portland, so you know, you never know if he was up there doing a project. How did you know his name was Shannon? Because oh, the because his, his mother was with him and said his name. Because the first time I was so sure it was him, and then the second time um, I was like, eh, it's probably not him. And then she goes, hey, Shannon, do you have your card? And I'm like, fuck, it's him. I know it's him. (laughs) He hasn't acted since 2015. 
it, it maybe it was him. I don't know, but it sure as hell looked like him, and it was bugging me to no end. I never got to ask him. That's very curious. The uh, anyway. So yeah, they have their story, and then there's another story which amused me to no end because it's. It, it, oh, I love that story. The nerd story. Uh, the nerd story is great, but I love the band where they can't seem to get oh. together on an idea. Like the concept of how they want to look, and they, doesn't Donald Faison want to wear a cowboy hat and they give him a bunch of shit about it? Yep. And then um, I'm trying to yep. remember, does does uh, a Brecken Meyer dress like he's Prince? I, I feel like someone in their dress is like yeah. way too exotic for the. He looks like he looks like Prince. The other guy who I don't know his name, they got mad at him because he wore like their band shirt to the show, which oh, is right, like right. a faux pas, you know? Yeah, you never so, do that. Yeah, they were. <laughs> They couldn't agree on anything, and they broke up before they ever performed a single song. <laughs> yeah, that amuses me to know it. But yeah, the nerd story, because his two friends, who I don't even recognize, I love the nerd story. They, they're just sitting out there the whole time, like, waiting, because aren't they going to try to... The whole thing is that Charlie Cosmo's character is trying to get um, Mike Dexter outside, and they're going to tie yeah. him up and take off his clothes or whatever and then humiliate him in front of everybody. But it turns into this whole yeah, other thing. Yeah, their whole thing is a, is a revenge story. Yeah. But, it, but they wait forever for it to happen. So they're always having like these funny conversations out in the middle of nowhere. You know, they're like hanging out on top of the garage or something, right? Staring at the sky. Yeah, on top of the garage, yes. Yeah. And then eventually he does get Mike Dexter out there. He like gets him so drunk. Um then he brings them out, but they end up becoming friends. That is one of the most brutal parts of the movie is that they become friends. And then it's the next yeah. day, and he goes to say hi to him, and he wants nothing to do with him. Like, he doesn't even, like, what are you for? What are you doing here? And that tore yeah, me apart as a kid. Yeah, because they went to, they got caught. The, the police, like, raided the party. They got caught, and Mike lied for him. And, and took the, you know, said everything was his fault and, and, you know, so he wouldn't get in trouble. So he thought that that was like, you know, a sign, like a, like a, you know, that they had, they had crossed the divide and that they were, you know, they could move forward as, as, you know, maybe not friends, but friendly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then he went to, he went to, to see him and thank him at the end. And then you just treated him like dirt again. Ugh. There's a lot of things in this movie you don't think are going to happen. It really surprises you. It's not cliche. I, 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 to this day, I'm at a loss as to why my co-host for this show usually is Andrew and why he hates this movie. And I'm completely confused. What? He really hates it. His wife loves it. And he's just like, every once in a while, i got to sit through it. I'm like, how can you hate this movie? Um. I don't. Ha- I don't know how you could possibly yeah, it's just, hit it. It's crazy because every if, even if you don't like one story, there's another one coming around the corner. Yeah, there's so much going on, and even though you don't really dive too much into anyone's character, I think most of the people are pretty likable. Yeah, it's so quotable too. There's a, the beer has gone bad. <laughs> Shut up, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I love the the kitty cat Chester Cheetah kitty kitty. <laughs> Oh, and then they taught him how to, like, say things in English that he didn't understand, like, would you like to touch my penis? <laughs> the, um, I, his name's not up here, but I'm almost certain that he was Dean Martin's grandson. I am a sex machine. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the other thing he, they taught him to say. It was really funny. I think he was in, um, I think he was in Josie and the Pusscats, too. Was he? What was that like, who pooped in this? <laughs> There's oh, poop everywhere. The, the girl who's at the house that yeah. the party's actually at, uh-huh. it's really funny because they never really focus all that much on her, but they'll show her periodically like assessing the damage and freaking out and that there's that part where she's like crawling around on the floor and she's like sniffing people's shoes and stuff and she's like poop do I smell poop <laughs> <laughs> uh, Melissa Joan Hart has a cameo in this where she's basically harassing everybody to sign her autograph or your book I feel like that she is a that is a real person like that character feels very very real yeah i never had anybody who really really wanted to sign a yearbook but i remember one year i signed and i did it as a gag like i put i then the next line was i filled the next one was i filled a space i uh, i filled a space in your yearbook i filled a space in your yearbook michael cook and they got so mad wow, because it took lame. up so much space in their yearbook and i was like i it was a, it's a joke I'm like fuck you that's that's really immature. I shut up. <laughs> I think all of us were. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> um, yeah, some of the other characters in this uh, that we haven't hit: uh, Eric Balfour, who um, honestly I didn't know was going to be a star. I, to me, and that sounds like a real dick thing to say, but he didn't look. He, he has a very large face, and I just didn't think it was going to happen. But he ended up being in a bunch uh, of stuff for a while. He's a really unique looking dude. No, I totally agree with that. He's in a lot of stuff. Wasn't he in, like, 24? He was in the first episode of Buffy, but they, you know... Right, well, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake, he's he's amazing in that remake. Um, Dude. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed like it went wrong. Don't talk about that movie. Yeah. Don't talk about that movie. <laughs> okay, his name's not up here, but there's I'm a guy sure. in this movie who I remember I probably more than anybody else. Um, he's with Jason Segel, and he's the guy who's going, Oh, oh yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, Daphne, man, she was a hip, hip chick. No, no, that's not what he says. It's uh, he's talking about like Martha. No, Walsh. It's, it's Velma. You know who's underrated? Velma. She was a from Scooby Doo. She was a hip, hip lady. <laughs> he looked like he would be sideshow Bob's kid. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I never seen him in anything else except for one episode of Good vs. Evil, and that was it. Like, maybe he just did it as a lark. A lot of these people, I don't know if they're even around anymore, because where you're at in your in your teenage years, in your early 20s, yeah. sometimes you're just feeling it out. Do I want to be an actor? And then when the work dries up or it gets too hard, they just go do something else. Or it's just to get money for yeah. college. What the fuck was that? What? Oh, just got loud neighbors. Um, they're always pounding I shit. Sniffed. Sorry. That's okay. Um, other than that, we have... Yeah, you know... Go ahead. Eric Balfour, I mean, I forgot that he was on, like, two or three seasons of um, Six Feet Under after this. And oh. then he was on that show, which I have never watched, but I'm aware of, Haven. That was maybe oh, on the totally, yeah. How did I forget five that? years. Yeah, yeah. So that was until 2015. I mean... He isn't hurting for work no. at all, doesn't look like. Uh, the last two I'll mention real quickly is Amber Benson um, before, I'm pretty sure it was before oh, Buffy, no. and then Selma Blair before I had really seen her in anything. Yes. Wasn't wasn't um, Amber Benson like 
high and she was just like staring at a banana or something. <laughs> Probably. She didn't even say anything. <laughs> um, Jenna Elfman does have a cameo in this, and um, it's actually kind of a pivotal part of the movie. I, I'm trying to remember because um, I, I didn't watch this recently. I watched it last summer, but I have seen it so many times I kind of remember. Uh, Preston is trying to call a radio station to play a song yes. for Amanda Beckett. Right? What was the song? Mandy. He is. Not, he. He is trying to call the radio station to ask Barry Manilow a question oh. because he because the Mandy song kept playing he felt like it was a sign that he should do something mm-hmm. and then and then um the what's her name um who plays his friend Lauren Ambrose who plays his friend says I, I'm pretty sure he wrote that about I heard he wrote that about his dog so he wanted to call and ask Barry Manilow, is this about a girl or is this about a dog? Because if it's about a dog, then he thinks that he should just let it go, you uh-huh. know? So, um, yeah, he keeps, he keeps, he's trying to call the radio station um, to ask Barry Manilow a question. And he's waiting, 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 and he's in the phone booth, finally gets through. And when he starts asking, then, um, yeah, Jenna Elfman comes up behind him and hangs up the phone because she thinks that her problems are a little bit more important than his. And that kind of starts their, um, you know, encounter. Right, right. The, uh, you know, the funny thing is, if it was a John Hughes movie, you would think that his character would end up with Laren Ambrose. Like, that's kind of the, the cliche they would set oh, up in a lot sure. of these movies. But... You know, they they kind of divert from that where they give her her own story because she gets locked in the bathroom with Seth Green's character. And then, you know, then they have Ethan Embry go off onto his story, which I thought was really smart and unpredictable. And he does get Amanda. He sort of gets Amanda. But they don't do it in the way that you think it's going to happen. It kind of goes wrong at first. And then he has to kind of rethink his approach, you know. Yeah. Well, he he actually kind of just lets it go because he thinks he screwed up right so and, and, he was accepting he was accepting it yeah and, and he's basically the only one that doesn't treat her like a hot piece of meat and they, the writers are yeah. also smart in writing her character more complex than that like she got comfortable they even explain like she just started you know dating mike dexter there was a flashback right where he's about to talk to yeah. her and then uh, somehow she gets uh, distracted and does talk to mike dexter but it's just funny how those little things can change. And she says you get comfortable, yeah. you get locked into these kind of relationships. You're not sure if you can exist outside of that relationship. And yeah, the way I that he, he she be- didn't know who she was. Right, and then he he's really petty and rude about you know them getting uh, them them breaking up. And and then I, I like I like watching his character fail the way it does. And it doesn't end up with like mm-hmm. a kick in the crotch like all those movies usually end up, or some sort of competition between the two. It's just one of these, like, natural developments of how people actually behave. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah, he was a douche, and they acknowledge that he's a douche. And then kind of everybody turns on him. Yeah, but they don't do it in... You know how it was in a lot of the 80s movies we watch? How the, the douchebag rival for the girl is a very particular kind of, like, you know, the preppy... Um, snooty, I talk mm-hmm. like this all the time. I'll challenge you to a race on the K-12. <laughs> you know, they, oh, they like did, the smarmy one. Yeah, but they did Mike Dexter in a way that he has, um, like, arrested development. 
he is 18. Yeah. He is getting out of college, but he still acts like he's 12. Whereas everybody else in his world seems to be moving on. Even his friends seem to be kind of evolving yeah. faster than he is. Even his idiot friends are like moving forward and, you know, having relationships when he's like trying to convince them to break up with their girlfriends so that they can like, like be dumb, dumb boys, yeah. 12 year old boys for the whole <laughs> summer. Right. Exactly. The, uh, the soundtrack for this real quick, they're going to run through some, a few of these songs that were pivotal. Of course, Paradise City is a huge scene in the movie where Charlie Corswell gets trashed and he's like, Hey, I know this song. And then there's this huge musical moment with it, um, which must've been fun for him to do. Yeah, and it was also, like, turned him into, like, a stud for a moment. And all the girls, remember, he get like they, he gets locked in a closet with a couple girls for a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. He's so awesome. <laughs> um, I don't know if all these songs were meant to be in the movie, and they ended up on albums later. I feel like Graduate was out before the movie. I'm pretty sure that's on their album before that. Uh, but it was a pivotal part of this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like the music, you know, in some movies, it's like the music is another character. Yeah, and they don't really do that with soundtracks anymore. I don't know hardly a single movie anymore where the soundtrack is important. I mean, with the exception of like the Edgar Wright films, you know, where he really specifically searches out songs that'll fit the scene. I don't even yeah. feel like there's even soundtracks being released anymore. Mm, once in a while, but it's not, I mean, usually it's like, when the music is well, usually if it's a musical or something, yeah. I don't know that there's that many music movie soundtracks that are huge. But I also don't listen to the radio, so I don't know. Yeah, but I remember like you would see trailers for these movies, and then they always throw something in the last couple seconds. Soundtrack provided by, and you see like a, the the artist on the like the screen for like a second. You know, it was important to sell the soundtrack as well. Because I think a lot of movies around this time yeah. were selling like crazy, especially like Clueless. That soundtrack was huge. The Scream soundtrack did very well. And then after that, it just seemed like a lot of these teen movies were like, look, we got to promote the album at, at the same time we're promoting the movie. Yeah. Uh, the the big single from this one was Can't Get Enough of You Baby by Smash Mouth, a band apparently everybody on the planet hates, and I, I love I love them unabashedly, even though most of their great songs seem to be covers of other people's songs. Um, I still don't understand oh, the absolute vitriol towards Smash Mouth. Eh, they're okay. And uh, Blink-182 with Damn It. And I, I believe that was a single that was on a previous album, but they pushed it hard because of it was in this movie. Just, just so you know... Um... The Can't Hardly Wait soundtrack is available through Hoopla. Nice. Ooh. Yeah, you can get it. Yeah, cool. I think this was my first introduction to It's Tricky and, like, a lot of uh, R&B. What do you even call that? Is it rap? I yeah, it's rap. I, I mean, because really they had Busta Rhymes. They had that Turn It Up. Remember the Turn It Up remix that added the Knight Rider theme that we all loved? Yes, yes, I do remember that. was cool. I miss, um, yeah. not that that wasn't a pun, but Missy Elliott. I mean, when she had a ton of songs around this time, and they were really good. And I feel like she just disappeared, but hit him with the he. Hit him with the he. Hit him with the ha. <laughs> she always had those videos. I love that one. The fish eye lens. I know, I was just going to say that I really love the video where she's wearing that big, it looks like a big trash bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I don't even know what that was, but it was so cool. There was a song in here that I really enjoyed. It was by a band called Broham, uh, called I Walked In. They were like, um, a, oh. I think it was like a white guy rap band, and you know they only had like one album, and I, I enjoyed it. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know what ever happened. So this is when like you know um, metal and hip hop were really starting to combine. You know, we, we were just around the corner from getting like Corn and Limp Bizkit and uh, you know lot, lots of guys kind of douchey bands, honestly. But they had a couple of good songs here and there. Um, I think that's about all I want to say with Can't Hardly Wait. It's definitely a must-see for anybody who, if you haven't seen it and you're our age group, I'm shocked. But the next generation, I think, yeah. it's, I think, I still think it holds for you know future generations. Uh, I do. I mean, again, and maybe because because of our age or or what. But I mean, I just watched it a couple days ago and I thought it was still so enjoyable you know yeah there's some movies we watched from that era i cannot get through most of those slasher yeah. movies that were post scream are unbelievably painful i, I urban legend is a god-awful piece of shit i thought it was a fantastic movie when i saw it at the time and i watched it like a few years ago I go oh i don't know if i can even finish this this is terrible yeah i don't even think that i would want to try to revisit it because i know it will be shitty by the time i was just crazy about it <laughs> Um, so, a yeah. month a month prior to Can't Hardly Wait coming out, there was another film with a lot of the same cast members from the same studio even. Um, didn't do very well, only made about $600,000, um, and almost completely mm-hmm. forgotten. If it wasn't on a set with Can't Hardly Wait, I think people would forget, a, you know, just never find the movie. Um, I think it's yeah, a gem. Yeah, I told you I couldn't find it. Yeah. This movie yeah. is a gem. I think it's a very, very good movie. And I don't know anybody mm-hmm. outside of you and me that's seen it. We're so cool. Did I even say the title? Sorry. Dancer Texas, Population nope. 81. <laughs> um, 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically. They have, it has a lot of really, really good reviews on um, on IMDb. It also has a, a lot of really bad reviews. <laughs> really? Why? Why would it be bad? Just because of boring? I mean, it's slow. but it just... think, yeah. It's... Okay. Um, most people see it as what it is. It's like, you know, a slice of life or whatever, um, coming of age story. But, yeah, a lot of people think it was just re- really dull. Like, I watched it last night, mm-hmm. and Scott was like, oh, my God, I think I fell asleep a couple times. Oh, I, I, I watched it recently, and um, I just thought it was so good. And um, yeah. so the similarities with Can't Hardly Wait um, are Breckenmeyer, Peter Fastinelli, and Ethan Embry again. Um, I want to say maybe this movie led to some of them getting cast in Can't Hardly Wait. Because, I mean, it looks like it was made beforehand. Mm-hmm. And it's set oh, in a small yeah. town, 81 people in Texas, and it's high school graduation, another coincidence between the movies. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about these boys who just want to leave. They want to get out of this small nothing town and go to Los Angeles. Here's the weird thing is I never understood why they were going to take that long trip to Los Angeles. Did any of them want to become actors or work in the film industry? Why couldn't they just go to Dallas or Houston or Austin? I know. Why didn't they just go to, like, any city that was bigger than where they lived, which was anywhere? Right? Except for the town town in Tremors. I didn't understand. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. um, I don't know why. They never explain why they chose L.A. and why they... Why that was the only option. Right. It just seemed like it was more feasible for them just to go. In fact, is Dancer Texas even a real thing? I want to know this. 
The answer, Texas. I want to know if this is, is a real town. place? Yeah. Probably not. I don't know. Okay. Um, it doesn't look like it. everything I bring up just says it's a movie. So it's just one of those small made-up towns. But, I mean, hypothetically, yeah. you could create it to be like, oh, just an hour away from Dallas. Well, why don't they just all move yeah. to Dallas first, see if they even like the city life. And that way you can still yeah, come I home know. on the weekends or whatever and come and visit. I know. Yeah, that's the one thing that's really frustrating about it. Um, and I remember being heartbroken. This is spoilers, people. Spoilers. Um this is okay so this isn't plot heavy and there's not a big cast so we're not going to talk about this very long but basically as the movie goes along you start off with them graduating they're committed they're going to leave but over like a couple days period of time they their lives start to alter a little bit you have peter fascinelli whose parents are pushing hard for him to go uh run their company and that he shouldn't be running off to Los Angeles or doing anything he shouldn't even go to college i remember i don't think he's supposed to go to college they just want him they to run they just want him yeah, they just want him to start working in the family business because they think that's where he belongs. But they don't care what he and wants, and mom, that's a really hard part because yeah. his mother, Patricia Weddig, man, she is uh, oh pushy and controlling as hell. a really frustrating part of the movie. Yeah. Um, Breckenmeyer, um, he's the only one who seemed to come from like a family that wasn't fucked up, right? Like his situation didn't, was just... It didn't, seem, it didn't seem too messed up. He lived with his grandpa... Because his parents died when he was a kid, and people in town were kind of, like, pressuring him, like, you shouldn't leave because who's going to take care of your grandpa kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, he does waver a little bit on that, on on the hit going because of that, until his grandpa, like, like convinces him that he wants him to leave because all the, he has all the ladies in town lining up to take care of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we have Eddie Mills. Now, Eddie Mills is the only one of this bunch that I don't even remember. Like, his face is familiar, but I couldn't tell you what he's uh-huh. from. But um, it didn't look like he acted for very long. I'm looking at this. He did some TV oh. stuff, but he wasn't really in he looked, Go ahead. Mm-hmm. He looked familiar to me, and it's because he had a really short, uh, like, story arc on Dawson's Creek. <laughs> okay. that You know what's funny? As you look at this era, it seemed like everybody from TV was... Um, Coming out, you know, like, if they were going to be a movie star, it's because they were in some TV show at that time. They came from either Dawson's Creek or Buffy. Um, and then later down the road, you had, like, well, you know, had Seventh Heaven, of course. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the other teen shows. I never watched that show. The Felicity and stuff like that. Um, a lot of these guys, Freaks and Geeks, I mean, they, they grabbed almost every single person from Freaks and Geeks to go into a new TV show or a movie almost instantly. But there's a lot of yeah. shows at that time that... Um, people would launch out of. I mean, it feels like everybody was on Dawson's Creek, at least for an episode. Yeah, pretty much. The uh, So he's the one that I don't really remember, and, and I cannot even remember his character. I He's the one who who leaves, right? He goes with Breckenmeyer, correct? Or Peter Fascinelli no, goes with him? he doesn't. So he's the one... Most of his scenes are with his younger sister, who is played by, what's her name, Ashley Johnson. Oh, who, from Growing Pains? Yeah, from wow. Growing Pains. So she plays his younger sister, and almost every scene is with the two of them. And I think she's trying to subtly convince him that he doesn't have to leave because she doesn't want to be, you know, she's going to miss him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there's a, there's a really super weird dynamic between him and his dad. And he basically tells him, the father tells him, you know, what I'll pay, you know, I'll pay for everything that you need until you're 18. And then 
you need to figure it out yourself because an 18 year old shouldn't be being taken care of by his parents. He needs to be a man or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he's like, Oh yeah, well I might as well leave. But, uh, through the subtle like hints that his sister has sent to him and his dad and he and his dad have a talk, uh, he convinces, he gets convinced that he can go to like, you know, a college nearby and work for his dad and, and, and still stay. So he, he stays. Okay. Well, I remember Ethan Embry's character. Now, his home life was poison. His dad was a drunk, and he was with some yeah, new woman. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was kind of a misfit. But he wants to stay because his chances now with the women are much higher because, like I said, there's 81 people in this town. So, you know, he thinks he has a choice of three or four. And I remember that causes some tension yeah. between him and some of the other characters about, you know, who's going to get who. And I really thought his character yeah. was going to leave. You know, because he might have a fresh yeah. start. But no, he decides that he, now these guys are leaving. I'm going to be the champion of this town, which is a weird... His character is just strange, period. Yeah, and you know, I thought that that was kind of a funny, um, a funny like, side bit of the movie uh, where he... First, he tries to kind of, like, uh, maybe get his chance with one of the girls before he leaves. And so he really ups his game and starts doing these, like, kind of kooky things um, to get their attention. And it just goes so badly. <laughs> and um, not like not like he's a super embarrassed or anything. It just, they just don't even consider him an option for some reason. And so he shows up at the girl's door and she's like, oh, let me go get my dad. And then the, he, he gives him money to pay for, like, the newspaper subscription and and because they can't even imagine he'd be there for any other reason yeah that's so, awkward it's just a bunch of silliness so the guy who plays his dad is interesting because um <clears throat> he he's the guy on angel who the like demon hunter guy who kidnaps his son oh we're talking a much much younger this yeah, guy i've seen this guy in like a bazillion things him. Um, I don't know how yeah. to say his name. Keith Cesar, oh boy, Cesar yeah. Bajka. And it was a very, like, <laughs> it was weird to see him. I'm, like, much younger, um, but he's still kind of haggard. He's, like, a drunk and just doesn't really pay that much attention to his kid at all. That's yeah. why That's why things are so awkward. But um, in addition to having more of a chance with the ladies, uh, the other reason why he decides to stay is that his dad brings home this woman and she just won't leave. And she's persistent enough that that they de he decides that this lady might be the one to help, like, kind of turn things around and uh, help his dad kind of get it figured out and have a better family life. Yeah. So that's the other reason. He, he kind of has faith, faith in this lady who kind of just shows up and the, won't go away. The... Um... That actor, I don't know how to say his name again, but uh, Keith, I'm just going to say Sar. <laughs> um, uh, he was an actor in Chicago, and he was part of this group oh, with uh -huh. Joe Montaigne and Stuart Gordon and David oh. Mamet. And God, I wish I could remember the car the comic book. Okay, so in the 70s, during the whole hippie um, acid era, they were creating these yeah. comic books, and then they would yeah. perform the comic books on stage. And they oh, would they cool. would they would give the comic book out to, to the people in the audience. Well, in the late no I'm sorry early 80s there was a small independent comic company I think it was Continuity Comics they picked it up and actually did a series of 24 issues 
telling this story uh-huh. of a play that him oh yeah and john heard i forgot john heard was playing the prince in it i gotta find what it was hmm. called because i had a couple issues and it's really fascinating stuff cool. and i've always wanted to know more about that world uh, that came out of that theater in, mm. in, in, in 70s Chicago. And, uh, you know, they're just creating stuff that nobody else is creating. Because, you know, when you think of theater, um, you know, you think it's pretentious and stuffy. And it's the classics. Mm-hmm. These guys are just making their own stuff. And uh, Stuart Gordon, the guy who created that, he would go on to do these crazy movies like uh, Honey, I Shrunk Kids and Reanimator and uh, Robot Jocks and stuff like that. Hmm. That was a segue. Uh, Sorry, everybody. <laughs> is this called, is it, was it possibly called Warp? Yes, thank you, Warp. Warp? Yes. Okay, it, yes, this is American science fiction play created by the Organic Theater Company of Chicago, Illinois. They co-authors Stuart Gordon and Lenny Kleinfeld, the latter under the pseudonym Burry St. Edmund. The play moved to Broadway for a short run in February 1973. The play and its backstory became the basis for spin-off comic books and other media. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's huh. just, it's one of those, I would love to see the play done again, but maybe it was something of its time there. Because I think it was kind of an homage to Flash Gordon and those old cheesy surreals. Oh, so, yeah, those, that's fun, though. The, um... There is another actress in this. I forgot about Alexandra Holden, who I have not seen in forever. But oh, you, she was in... Yeah. I remember her specifically from Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh, I love her. What's your perfect date? Was it uh, April 5th? It's not too cold, but it's not too hot. <laughs> I don't remember what she says exactly. Um, yeah, she was super, I remember her from that, too. I don't remember what else she was in. She was in Sugar um, and Spice, she, a movie I completely forgot existed. Like I, I kind of, yeah. She was in a lot of stuff around the, that time, I think, but I don't think I ever saw that one. Was that like a Teenage Bank Robber one? Yeah, they were... They were um, High school cheerleaders, I think they decided to rob a bank. It's Marla Sokoloff and Marley Shelton, Melissa George, Mina Suvari. I could have swore. Oh, Melissa George, really? I could have <laughs> swore um, somebody else was in this movie, and I don't even see her in here. Who was it again that was on, uh, you know, she said 5x5. Five five. Damn it, why am I forgetting the name? Uh, Elijah Dushku. I thought Elijah Dushku was in that movie, oh. but I don't see her in here. So I must no, be confused. No, you got it confused. You got oh. it confused with... Um, yeah, bring it on. Sorry. Bring, bring it, on. it on. Yeah, okay. Um, whoops. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, Dancer Texas, um, really easy to find um, in a set with Can't Hardly Wait. I, I got it from my workplace for like nothing. It was 20 comedies, and I got it for six ninety nine. And they're all studio films from Columbia Pictures. I mean, Hudson mm-hmm. Hawk's on there for Pete's sake. Punchline, cool. uh, Cops and Robbers. Oh, yeah, uh, Hollywood Homicide. Uh, walk hard, you know, and then can't really wait. There's a bunch of other stuff on there. It's, it's. I think um, sometimes those packages can be complete duds, but every once in a while you find a good yeah. one. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and a lot of times those like little, little movies that most people haven't heard of end up just are just so good. Like, um, love that one with. Um, I'm thinking Lone Star State of Mind is one. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say, actually. Nice. And I just kind of... was. Is that in the set? Um, I, th- I think it's supposed to be. It was in another set with um, a lot of those movies I had years ago. Um, yeah, Lone Star State of Mind is one of those that was so good, but it was so kind of quirky. 
Um, that I don't know yeah, if the studio knew very... what to do with it. It's almost a Wes Anderson style kind of quirkiness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that one's a great one. There's so many like of this era when DVD was exploding and there was tons of movies out there for the studios to you know try to get you know DVD sales with. I think some have yeah. been forgotten over time. Um, not that that doesn't happen with every era because there's stuff in the 80s that's forgotten yeah. and, and stuff that probably came out last year that you're like, what the, I never even heard of this movie. How is this even possible? Because there's too much out there right now. There is too much. I mean, and so, so much of it, it sort of gets buried and it's good. Sometimes it's better than the movies that go to the theater or make a lot of movie money, you know? Yeah. I, I still feel that Tucker and Dale is one of the finest horror oh movies of God. all time. And, and I think it made like $400,000. It's one of the best movies ever. And it like, it, it, it never gets old. Like the repeat value to me yeah. is so good. All right, everybody. So I guess go watch, go watch Tucker and Dale versus evil. No okay. There's so many great movies out there. Um, and I guess that's the point of video night. Sometimes we do the mainstream stuff, but then sometimes we like to dig up stuff, you know, and uh, revisit it and see if it still stands up. But we've made a huge mistake, <laughs> and we question our sanity. <laughs> I mean, we might not have good taste, but I don't I care. Don't um, our next episode is going to be the 25th anniversary of two baseball flicks that um, were huge for us, and I think they were big for you too. Rookie of the Year and The Sandlot. Woo! I'm so excited. All right, anything you want to plug before we go? Nah. All right, let's just take our fingers up our nose and plug those. Sounds great. <laughs> all right, everybody. Check us out on Facebook under Video Night. You'll find all our episodes there. And some of our spinoffs. We talk about trashy movies. Last year, she and I did a bunch of uh, musicals. Um, I don't know. We never did finish that project, though, did we? We still got a couple more to go. I thought, I thought you said we wrapped it up. Did we? I can't remember. But I feel like we missed Cannibal the Musical. I don't recall us doing that one. I... I feel like I personally could talk about musicals for much, much longer than most people could. So Maybe. But I'm if, totally fine with talking about more. Here's the weird thing is, I'm at this crossroads where trash cinema is no longer about making fun of terrible movies. That we're talking about movies that critics hated, that we liked. And that's kind of what Video Night is. Movies that were forgotten by the critics yeah. or audiences and kind of rediscovering them. I almost feel like trash cinema is pointless. So don't be surprised that disappears and we just talk oh, about okay. movies. I mean, Video Night, I mean, that was kind of the idea. It's just like, you know, you remember being kids, just grabbing whatever looked interesting on VHS, popping it in, and having fun with your friends. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. All right, everybody. Time to sign off. Pew! <laughs> Bye!